It was all-time worship, amen? Yeah, it's just a, a real blessing to be able to come into the house of God every single week and sense His presence. To feel His love and power. To look up and be able to behold His glory. That's a very special thing. Not all churches, you can go to every, every single week and you, you experience that kind of worship. But I, I believe that this is not the exception. This is the standard that God is restoring into local churches. Amen? I want to begin by saying that I am an American football fan. And my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, have just finished playing a playoff game that I did not watch and I do not know the results of. And perhaps you may know the results, but I just ask you to refrain from joking about it, telling me about it, just, just I'm all total seriousness, please don't mention it at all, because after I'm done ministering to y'all, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to enjoy the game, all right, even though it's on archive, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy the game, so please don't mention any of that, I mean that very much from the bottom of my heart, <clears throat> so I appreciate your cooperation in that. I want to take this time, I want to welcome all the campuses today. Itaewon, Seaside, and of course our Sydney church plant. They are streaming the video and the sermon. Just want to say welcome. Let's welcome uh, all our other campuses. Yeah. Welcome. All right. Very good. Last week, I preached on make New Year resolutions. And my three points were reflect, renew, and follow through. Reflect, renew, and follow through. And I don't know if you guys made New Year resolutions. Maybe you forgot. Maybe you didn't get to do it because you were busy. But I want to encourage you. Even though we're already into the year, if you haven't made New Year resolutions, make them today. Get some momentum on your life. If you feel like your life is going nowhere, get some momentum on it. Make these New Year resolutions. Follow through. And learn to leverage that momentum to make them into established habits that are going to bless you and your family into the future. Amen? Amen. In April of, our, of this year, 2014, as Pastor Aaron mentioned earlier, we're going to be officially launching our Sydney church plant. Yeah, yeah. And so we pray for our Sydney punch team. There are eight members of our church family here in Korea that are quitting their jobs, and they're moving down to Australia, eight of them. And then there are our campus pastors, Pastors Paul and Jamie Yu. They moved all the way from New Jersey to Korea to do a three-month internship. And at the end of February, they also will be moving down to Australia. So 10 people, including baby Zoe, 11. Ocean's 11. Uh, 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 Ocean's 11, I'm not doing anything. 11 people chosen by God, and they're going to go and join our local leadership in Sydney, the Four Horsemen. I just call them the Four Horsemen because there's four of them. And they're going to join in in the community that's already been meeting down in Sydney, and we're going to launch the service. Aaron and I are going to fly down at the end of March, and we're going to be in Australia for about three weeks. And we're going to really establish this church plant. We're going to establish it first and foremost through the Word of God. 
How many know it's the word of God that births forth the church? God speaks it and creation was created. God's word goes out from the mouth of his servants. And a new church plant is firmly established. And so we're excited about this. In April of 2014, we're also celebrating our five-year anniversary. That's a pretty significant milestone, if you ask me. And so we're going to prepare and make April a special month. Because it's going to be five years of new Philly rich history. Five years of lives transformed. Five years of foolishness beaten out of you. Five years of you learning how to live with, uh, walk with God, live with accountability, to walk with clarity, free from fear and anxiety and demonic attacks. Five years. We're going to celebrate that in April of this year as well. So get excited about that. Today is the first year of 2014. And I'm going to present to you the theme for the year. Some of you may have had a love-hate relationship with these themes. Because in the very beginning, these themes were very, very, um, very significant. Because it really spoke into the season that our church has, was in. For example, in 2008, before we were even New Philly, right when I took over, the theme of 2008 was Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. New thing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Everybody say new thing. New thing. So that was 2008's theme. And 2009's theme was from Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Behold, I set before you an open door that no man can shut. Open doors. That was the theme of 2009. And in fact, the way we got our church name, New Philadelphia, was we combined the theme of 2008 with the theme of 2009. New thing. With open doors. But new open doors doesn't sound as catchy. So we took Revelation 3.8, which is written to the church in Philadelphia. And we came up with New Philadelphia Church. So those two things are very significant for us in those first two years. 2010 was the year of epic faith. How many of you guys know we had event after event. Friday fire after Friday fire. We had the Niagara Conference. Let me tell you, I'm proud of our house for how we ran Niagara Conference. It was a powerful conference. Pastor Sonny Kang from Las Vegas, he still says it is one of the most powerful conferences he's ever been to. And he, 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 he doesn't just flatter people with words. I mean, he, he means what he says. It was a powerful conference. You might have been hard on yourself because things were a little less organized than you had liked. But it was a powerful conference. And it was a year in which God really stretched our faith. It was also the year that we met Pastor Benjamin and Sonny Robinson. And that meeting prepared us for the theme of 2011, which was the year of intimacy. In the year of intimacy, our relationship with Pastor Benjamin and Sonny, uh, my relationship and Pastor Aaron, we came under a covenant relationship with them to be a spiritual son and daughter to Pastor Benjamin and Sonny. And that covenant relationship created an incredible covering, accountability, and also a trust and intimacy that flowed down to the entire house. Also in 2011, what was interesting is God ordained 
like six marriages to take place. Six weddings that took place all in 2011. If you got married in 2011, raise your hand right now. We got, we, okay, some of them are in Busan. And uh, anyway, we're all spread out. <laughs> Pastor John, Michael, and Sky got married in 2011. Uh, uh, Diddy and Hewan, Larry and Jew. I mean, there were a lot of weddings that, that year. And it really marked the year of intimacy. 2012 was the year of increase. I wasn't a huge fan of this theme because uh, we didn't quite see the increase that I thought of when I thought of increase. But regardless, if you look at the numbers, which I presented to you guys last year, January, the first uh, Sunday of 2013, I actually did an executive report. You guys remember the graphs and stuff that I posted up? We actually grew quite a bit in 2012. But I still believe there's a beyond the progression increase that's still coming. And God's still preparing us for that. Because we're still a young congregation, you know? But uh, God's preparing us for that. So in 2012, there was a lot of increase in different ways. 2013, this past year, was the year of inspiration. After all of this production and all of this growth, I believe that God was really challenging us not to just work harder but work smarter. To really uh, not be just production-oriented but process-oriented. Start asking the right questions. Start uh, cultivating a culture of creativity, which we're still doing. But 2013 was the year of inspiration. So if you're ready for the the theme of 2014, everybody say, yeah. Yeah. You know, our church, we're in a season of building. That's what Pastor Benjamin prophesied over us back in 2012. He said, your warfare is complete. And God is giving you peace all around. It's a season of building. And ever since that word came out, it's really interesting. All of the slander, the bad-mouthing, the opposition. I mean, there's still some opposition that we face as a church. And people, you know, see, there, there's apparently some pastor in the New York area that goes around warning all the other churches about New Philly. You know? If he feels really called to that, God bless him. But, you know, I hope I can meet him one day just to see him say it to my face. But anyway... We still get a little opposition, but the vast majority of the opposition and slander we faced for the first three years of our church's history just supernaturally disappeared. It was actually really incredible. And God started to give us peace all around, favor all around. Professors at my seminary were going out of the way to shake my hand, even to call me moksanim, and to acknowledge the calling that God had on my life, the ministry that I was carrying in the city. And people started to really cover our church with honor. And that's because God has put us in a season of building. As mighty warriors, we know how to fight still. But the focus is not on the warfare. The focus now is on building. Building relationships with key people in the kingdom kingdom of God. Building up a structure for the church that doesn't just help us through the first few years, but helps us through the next season, the next seven years, so that our church doesn't plateau and begin to decline. God is giving us peace all around, favor all around, honor all around. And I believe really this is a, a really prophetic sign of what God is doing in the season of building. Now, in the season of building, 
what we do in this season is very important for how the church is going to look like 10 years from now. The church that your children are going to grow up in. So you better make some good decisions and you better sow in some good prayers. Because this isn't just me. We're in it together. Amen? Amen. The church that your little 12-year-olds are going to run around in, what kind of church is that going to be? So we don't want to just build carelessly, do we? We want to build and we want to build with wisdom. The theme of 2014 is the year of wisdom. I know we're a young church, but we need wisdom. When you think of wisdom, maybe you think of an old gray harabaji, grandpa or something. But no, we young people, we need wisdom. Proverbs 24, verse 3. Through wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By wisdom, a house is built. We want the sons and daughters of New Philly, wherever you are in the world, to live your lives with wisdom. We also want this church to be built, the ministries built with wisdom. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, ain't nobody got time for foolishness. So Pastor Aaron and I, we plan to prepare our sermons around the theme of wisdom. Thank you. And we're going to spread it out throughout the year. Because, you know, people had a love-hate relationship with some of these themes. I think part of it is our, our responsibility to make sure that the theme is kind of in your face throughout the year. The theme is being uh, visited in a relevant way, applicable way to your life throughout the year. So we plan to do that. We also plan to prepare some discipleship materials around this theme, some leadership training around this theme of wisdom. We plan to give sermon series regarding wisdom, wisdom with time, wisdom with finances, wisdom with relationships, wisdom with our thought life, wisdom with your uh, romance, your love life. Some of you need wisdom in that area. Some some of you need wisdom to get a love life. (laughs) Loving Jesus doesn't just attract the opposite gender. Doesn't attract your future spouse. You need some wisdom. And wisdom with our physical bodies. Oh, we're going to get real. Not today. But we are going to deal with physical Wisdom, like wisdom with your physical body. And in preparation for that, I'm going to start jogging and running. And uh, just once a week, all right? I'm going to start with just once a week. I'm not trying to get 1,000 miles a year like Sam Keel. All right, just going to go once a week. But I am going to start working out again. I used to be a workout buff in, in my college days. I was a workout buff, buff, like literally buff. I still have some of it down here, all right? But, uh, but uh, watch out, all right? This year, this year I'm going to make a little comeback, okay? Uh, 
<clears throat> but wisdom, wisdom. And pending confirmation, we plan to fly out Dr. Kirby Clements to our churchwide retreat. So this is Pastor Robert Daniel's spiritual father. So there's me, there's Pastor Benjamin, African-American pastor, then Pastor Robert Daniels, African-American pastor, and then Dr. Kirby Clements, African-American pastor. (laughs) Man, I don't know what happened. Why God grafted me into this lineage, but you know what? I ain't complaining. I love it. I love it because this this is the childhood that I grew up in, inner city. So Dr. Kirby Clements is my spiritual great-grandfather. He's a pastor from Georgia. He's a lot older than any of us. So when, when you see him, he's a lot older. But let me tell you, this guy, he is full of incredible wisdom. This man of God is full of incredible wisdom. It turned off the mic again. It went down like, all right. In Matthew 25... If I put the mic to my face, then I spit all over it and it stinks. All right, so you got you to give me a little more volume so I can keep it down here. In Matthew 25 is the parable of the ten virgins. Five were foolish and five were wise. And if you interpret the virgins as symbolizing local churches, we don't want to be like the foolish virgins in this parable. The foolish ones who are not ready at the coming of the groom. We want to be like the wise virgins who took flasks of oil in advance and they were found ready and watching. And when the groom arrived, they woke up, they rose to their feet, they trimmed their lamps and they went into the marriage feast. The foolish virgins try to borrow some oil in that hour and the wise ones said, you go get it yourselves. Go to the market, go buy some for yourselves. You don't got enough to share. And it wasn't that the wise virgins were being mean. What Jesus is trying to illustrate is that when he returns in glory at his second coming, churches that are walking in the anointing, that are ready and watching, whose lamps are burning, they're going to be welcomed into the great marriage feast of the king. But those churches that got no anointing, And that were careless, those local churches that were in decline for years, but never renewed. In decline and deteriorated to the point where Jesus so totally abandons those local churches that he says to them at his coming. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. That's scary. That's scary, but I believe that's the truth. That in the end times, when Jesus returns in his glory, there's going to be no middle ground. There'll be churches that are on fire and that are walking in the anointing. And then there's churches that are completely abandoned by the Holy Spirit, completely abandoned by Jesus a a long time ago. And churches that that really Holy Spirit left a long time ago, those churches, you can kind of start telling. You You can see some of the symptoms. What are the most important things to those churches? What are the things that they discuss? When you examine that, you can tell whether God is still moving through that local church or not. Just because it has a label of a church doesn't mean it is a church that Jesus is going to welcome into the marriage feast. Some of them, what's scary is, he's going to tell them, I don't know you. 
I'm not scary. Well, that's, that's because there's going to be no middle ground in the end days. The times are it's going to be so tough with the tribulation that comes. And this is a, depends on what view of the end times you have. But uh, the pastor here of New Philadelphia Church, I went through an end time sermon series. And I taught that I am a pre-tribulation. Come on, intern pastors. Pre-millennial. All right. I'm pre-trip, pre-millennial, meaning that I think the church better get ready for the tribulation. There is no pre-trip. I mean, post-trip. I'm sorry, post-trip. There is no pre-trip rapture. It's going to, oh, you thought I, you thought I changed my mind all of a sudden? No, no. Post-trip, pre-millennial, right? Anyway, all that to say, it's going to get tough in the end days. And the churches that are not being careful, that are not watching, that, are, that don't have the anointing, all right? I mean, you're going to see those churches decline with the quickness. And they might hold on to buildings, and they might hold on to some people. But it doesn't mean that on, when Jesus returns, he's going to welcome them into the great marriage uh, feast of the Lamb. All right, that, that's, that might be a little bit sobering, but that's not my message. My message is we cannot afford to be a foolish church. We got to be a wise church. We got to be like the wise virgins. Because Jesus is returning. Amen? Amen. The first topic on wisdom and the first sermon series that I'm going to cover this year regards wisdom with time. Okay? Wisdom in regards to time. So I'm going to do a sermon series on this. And today we're going to look at two verses. Psalm 90 verse 12. Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17. Psalm 90, verse 12. Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. So I want everyone to turn to Psalm 90, verse 12. Put your finger on there or put your little uh, ribbon on there and then turn to Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. We're going to look at Psalm 90, verse 12 first. Let me get a little more, Mike. Psalm 90, verse 12. Whether you're watching on video or you're here in the house or you're at the Etel One or Seaside Campus or Sydney, open up your Bible if you have your Bible with you. Let's look at Psalm 90, verse 12 first. I'm going to read the ESV. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of Wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. The psalmist here says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. There's a couple observations here. First is, teach us. That means that numbering our days does not come naturally to us. It is something that we must all be taught. We've got to learn and train ourselves to do it. And what's interesting is that when we get into a habit of numbering our days, we actually gain a heart of wisdom. How does that work? Numbering our days. Isn't that kind of morbid? You know? Like, uh, you ever see some people, they have like a, a countdown like to, to, to death. Like a countdown to your death. 
calculator online. If you go to a certain website, you can put like, you know, uh, I think I'm going to live to about 65. How many days do I have left? And the website will actually calculate for you the days and the hours and the minutes that you have left to live your life. And it kind of puts a sobering picture on, wow, like this is for real. I'm not going to live forever here. And people think that's kind of morbid, but what we need to understand from this verse is that numbering our days is a good thing. This is a good thing. We got to understand, you see, numbering our days is a good thing because our days are numbered. You don't want to be ignorant to the fact that our time on earth is limited. When you are 15 years old, you think you're going to live forever. When you're 28 years old, you still think you're going to live forever. But when you get to my age, you start realizing, man, I'm almost halfway there. Hey, give me more mic here. You heard me here. Our time on earth is limited. And when we understand that our time is limited... We can then understand why it's important to be wise stewards, to be good managers of the time that God has loaned to us. If we thought of time as cash, it is probably the most poorly managed commodity on the earth. Like, if you knew the rest of your life, if, you, if, you, if, it, if, it, if it was given to you today as cash, you would have a better picture of, man, i got to use this well. But because time is so invisible and it's so intangible, and we think, man, it's going to be later, 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 and it's so hard for our minds to grasp the finite nature of the time we have on this earth, we tend to live our lives very carelessly. And we end up being poor stewards of this commodity Called time. And believe me, God sees time as a commodity. It is a limited resource that He gives to each person in different amounts. And He says, Look, you're you're not on your time, you're on my time. I'm giving you this time. What are you gonna do with it? And One way that we can be wise stewards of our time is to understand that we have a limited amount of it. And as we number our days and get in the habit of doing that, it will teach us, it will give us a heart of wisdom. Amen? Amen. A lot of times you see this fast forwarded into a small period of time when people are given a prediction of death. Doctor says, we, we brought your test results, and I'm sorry to say, you only have six months to live. You only have three months to live. And it makes a great story. That's why Korean dramas use it all the time. <laughs> what, what, what happens when people understand that their lives are now limited to, to, to even to just within a year? What happens? People live their lives differently. People... Go out and try to fulfill things called bucket lists. People go out and they profess their love for the person that they've been crushing on all these months. People live their lives differently. They make their lives count. But here's the thing. You've got to be able to do that without a doctor telling you you only have six months to live. 
or without a doctor telling you, you only have 50 years to live. I mean, look, I don't have to be a doctor to tell you that. Most of you in here, you only have about 50, 60 years left. Some of you may even have a lot shorter. But you know what? We all have limited time. And we got to be wise stewards of this resource. Amen? Amen. The second passage is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17. Let's look at that together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17. If you have a different translation of the Bible, stay with me because I'm, a, I'm actually going to cover several translations here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17, in the ESV, it says, let's everyone read that together. Even if you're at Etail 1, Seaside, Sydney, let's read that together. Even if you're some from afar watching this at home in Texas, let's read this together. All right? On one, two, three. One, two, three. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Very interesting. That the way you use your time is once again connected with foolishness and wisdom. There are several Greek words for the English word time. There's a word epi, tote, aura. These are going to all be translated into the English word for time. But there are two main Greek words that are used for the word time. And those words are chronos and kairos. Everybody say chronos, chronos. and kairos. Chronos means a general space of time. This is where we derive the English word chronological. Okay, chronos. Kairos can also be translated as time, and that's not inaccurate to just translate it as general time. But the Greeks had a culture where they tended to use it to mean an opportune time, an appointed season, a due season, a proper time. That's the concept that was implied when you use the word kairos instead of chronos. Now, the unfortunate thing is, in our English Bible translation, this subtlety is completely lost. But what I want to point out to you today is that here in our passage, verse 17, verse 16, I'm sorry, of Ephesians 5, the word time here in the Greek is the word kairos. And what you have to understand is, for the people of God, every season of your life has been appointed and planned by God. They are not accidents. God doesn't just take 20 years and just throw it at you and say, do whatever you want with it. Let's see what you can come up with. No, God appoints specific times and even places where you ought to live. So you thinking about, I'm going to live... You know what? My plan is to work on Wall Street in New York City, save up millions of dollars. And when I'm about 35, I'm going to be married with my first kid and I'm just going to retire and move to the um, United Emirates or you move to uh, Australia. I don't know where you move to when you retire, but move to Florida. There you go. (laughs) It's going to move to Florida. And it's like, ah, no, you ain't. 
You don't get to predetermine that. God does. And the best thing for you to do is follow his plan. Because when you don't follow his plan, all kinds of bizarre stuff happens to your life. God has appointed and planned out seasons and times in your life where he wants specific things to be learned, specific people to be met, specific accomplishments to be achieved. They might come as a surprise to you, but for God, they were already written about before you even came to be. All your, all my days written about in your book before any of them came to be, says the psalmist. The command is not about making the most of your general time, but Ephesians 5 is talking about making the most of how God, um, making the most of God-appointed seasons of your life. You see, because it's God-appointed, there is meaning, there is purpose. And because there's a meaning and purpose, it's not about you just making your time count. It's about being connected to that purpose. That's what makes it meaningful. Not just you helping the poor and you just being best buddies and, and loving on people in a general way. No, there are specific purposes God has appointed in your Kairos seasons. And the scripture here is saying, make the most, make the best use of these Kairos seasons and times. The NIV translates it. I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This translation is not inaccurate. Because the word kairos actually has the concept of opportune time. It can actually be translated opportunity, and it's still very accurate. And so the NIV says, make the most of every opportunity. Not just general opportunities you get in life. But make the most of every opportunity, every open door that God gives you. you got to make the most of it. But some people in fear, in anxiety... Just idleness and laziness. They don't seek the will of the Lord. And God opens the door and they miss it. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, we got to make the most of every God-given, God-appointed opportunity. Don't just get through it like a zombie. Make the most of it. Make it count. So let me make it practical for you. If you're in Korea for a limited season of time, Let's say you're a college student. You know that you only have two months left here at New Philly. You have five months left here in Korea. If you know you're a, you have a limited season of time here at this amazing church, make the most of it. Make it count. Make it meaningful. And the, and the Bible says here, be careful how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Be wise. Don't be careless. Don't be foolish and then later look back with regret on this very meaningful season. But be careful how you live. If you're in school right now, make the most of it. Don't keep thinking about how good life is after graduation. Be fully present now as a student. And be thankful for the good aspects of being a student. Because once you graduate, you're going to start dwelling on all I just had it so good when I was a student. (laughs) And you never get to enjoy the life, the here and now. 
Some people do that with marriage. They go, man, I can't wait until I'm married. And they despise the single life. They don't get to enjoy the single years. Let me tell you right now, man, I miss those single years. <laughs> not that I'm not enjoying marriage, but let me tell you, it's a special season. You can go out and watch a movie. You don't have to call nobody to get their permission. And some people, man, they, they always, oh, man, I can't wait till I'm married. And then when they get married, man, I, I, I miss the days of being single. Or, or, oh, there's a better looking person over there. What, what if I married them? Some people live like that. And they don't enjoy the here and now. They don't see the good things that God has provided for them. They are constantly coveting after things that they don't have. Be fully present. Be thankful. If you got an opportunity to go on missions, carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity and make the most of it. Don't wait for God to give you a vision, two dreams, and three prophetic words. If you know God is saying go, then go and make the most of it. And if there's a cost involved in following Jesus, church plant, Missions trip, whatever, a new job. If there's a cost in making a big decision, then count the cost. And then joyfully pay it. Understanding that any sacrifice you make for the kingdom, there's never a loss. Only gain. God will turn it all for your good. When you obey the Lord and put him first, there's never a loss. God is always taking you from glory to glory. He's always surrounding you with better and better things. The ESV says making the best use of the time. The NIV says making the most of every opportunity. The New King James says redeeming the time. This is not inaccurate either. Redeem the time. The verb here can also mean to redeem or check this out, to rescue from loss. To rescue from loss. You see, God schedules in Kairos moments for the people of God throughout their lives. But the fact of the matter is, so many people miss out. They lose those Kairos moments. Whether the devil's attacking and distracting, Using strife and interpersonal conflict, fear or anxiety. Whatever the devil's using, he's constantly trying to get you to miss. To have those Kairos moments end up in loss. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, rescue those Kairos moments from loss. Redeem the time. We got to rescue these Kairos moments and seasons in our lives. You know, the thief comes to steal. But we have got to rescue these appointed and opportune times from his theft. Amen? Amen. Redeem the time. And then look at uh, the verse before verse 16. Verse 15 here. In the ESV it says, Look carefully then how you walk. Or look carefully at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. In the NIV it says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful how you walk and live. 
Be very careful how you walk and live. What, what's this verse trying to say? It's saying how you live your life is important. It's not all about just God saying, these are the goals for your life. Go and accomplish them. No, how you accomplish them is very important. And how you live your life as you're on your way to accomplish the will of God is important. Can I get an amen? Amen. That means what time you go to bed is important to God. How much rest you get. Whether you are punctual to appointments. Whether you plan things out or just carelessly go with the flow. Whether you set New Year resolutions or just feel that they are futile. How you live your life is important. It matters. God wants you to continually reflect and renew how you live. What are your habits? Are they good? Are they negative? He wants you to live very carefully and with wisdom. Not carelessly and in foolishness. As a look at this verse, this is what the verse is talking about. Look carefully then how you walk. In NIV, be very careful then how you live. Now the word here for careful is akribos. Everybody say akribos. akribos. It's a Greek word that means diligently, accurately, precisely. So one way to paraphrase, paraphrase this passage is, See to it that you live your life carefully, diligently, accurately, precisely, redeeming the Kairos moments that God appoints for you, rescuing from loss Kairos moments that God ordains for you. This is wisdom. This is just my own paraphrase. You want to pick up a copy of that Bible? I'll try to write it for you within the next 25 years. <laughs> I love that this this Greek word. It doesn't just mean be very careful or be or live your life carefully. It means diligently, accurately, precisely. What's that mean? That means there's something to aim for. There's a purpose that you're supposed to achieve. You're not supposed to just make your life count and your time count and make it meaningful in a general way. There's a very specific way your life is supposed to count. With the specific talents that God has given you. With the specific relationships he surrounded you with. And by the way, you need some of those people. You got to be in partnership with some of these people. Some of them are within New Philly. Some of them are outside of this church. At another church. A church that might be completely different than ours. But we need each other. And God wants us to live carefully. To live precisely According to his purpose and plans for our lives. Amen. And why should we walk and live this way? Why should we live in wisdom? Why should we make the most of every opportunity? And the Apostle Paul gives one particular reason. He says, because. Look at this. Because the days are evil. Why should we live carefully while we're on this limited time on earth? Why? Because the world is not neutral. The world is not godly. The world is a wicked place. Depraved and godless. 
And when men are left to their own devices without the grace of God at work on the earth, you know what happens? Noah's flood. That's what happens. Back in the days of Noah's flood, do you know how these people got so wicked that God sent a flood to destroy the whole earth? And some of you might be like, you know, thinking, oh, that's not, that's not real. That wasn't real. But if you go to the Grand Canyon, try to explain why there are fossils at the top of the Grand Canyon. When the sea level never reached that, that level historically. Why are there fish fossils at the top of the Grand Canyon? Explain to me what happened. <laughs> Somebody took a big bucket, poured in water, and then the water drained after 100 years? Anyway, I'm just saying, there's, there's some <laughs> archaeological evidence to back up that there was, at one point, some kind of worldwide flood. But anyway, what, what would get God to destroy the world like that? How can the world get that evil? You know, there's a uh, Russell Crowe movie that's coming up real quick. It's about the, uh, about the flood, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm excited to see it. I don't know if it'll be any good, but, you know, I'm excited to see it. You know, Jennifer Connelly's in there. You know, I don't remember the Bible saying that Noah's wife was beautiful, but it doesn't hurt that she is. You know what I mean? But anyway, let me get back to my message. Hey, nothing wrong with admiring the, the beauty of God's handiwork. There's nothing wrong with admiring the beauty of God's creation. Anyway, um, what would get God to destroy the world, the whole world? You know why? Because back in those days, mankind lived until they were 900 to 1,000. You see, when you don't have the Spirit of God in you, and you don't know the grace of God, and you don't know the love of God, and you get to live to 900 years, and when you were 15, you were doing all kinds of wicked stuff, when you were 18, you killed your brother, but nobody knows about it, and you said it was an accident, but you actually killed him, and then when you get to about 115, you killed about five other different people, but nobody knows about it, and you continue to live out your life according to your own devices without the grace of God at work in you, the world becomes a very wicked place fast. You think there's no evidence of such wickedness happening even within 120 years of the lifespan of people today? Well, look at the Holocaust. Just look within the last century. And we have evil that history has never seen before. Even in those ancient days, they didn't see systematic killing of doctors and teachers in Cambodia. Through a, a ruthless regime called the Khmer Rouge. Because of this idea, idea of communism and Marxism. A very positive idea executed in the most wicked way. You know, even the, uh, all of the uh, terrorists that the Russian government is facing right now. If you know the history of what happened there with the Chechen rebels, you know that Russia is not in the right. Neither are these terrorists. But Russia has done great atrocities to these minority groups. I told you that one time I was on a mission trip to Kazakhstan. And I evangelized to a young Russian man. In the middle of nowhere in Kazakhstan. Called, it was a little town called Stepnogorsk. Where they had huge um, depots of uh, anthrax. During the uh, Cold War. That's where they stored all the anthrax of Russia. Was in the little town called Stepnogorsk. Anyway, uh, that's beside the point. I was evangelizing to this Russian young man. And when I was leading him to Christ, he just wouldn't receive the grace of God. He said, you don't understand how, what wicked things I've done. 
And we said, well, what's hap- what do you see? What, what, what happened? And he said that he went into these towns and villages. And he dug the graves. And he just, the whole Russian army, they just slaughtered. Whole towns, hundreds, even thousands of people. And just, just kicked them all into the grave. I mean, Ru- Russia, they're, they're stay, their hands are stained in blood. You know? But anyway, like, how do you explain such atrocities taking place still when we have so much knowledge, when we have the internet? When we, when, you know, at the turn of the enlightenment, right? The world thought that we would eliminate poverty, that we would eliminate war, that all these European wars that happened from the previous century, none of that, that would be a thing of the past because we are now enlightened. We are now educated. And then what happened? There was such a... Um, there was such a um, optimism that things like post-millennialism caught on during the Great Awakenings. Why was there such an optimism? Because people thought we we're going to eliminate war and poverty. And what happened at the turn of, turn of the uh, 19th century, right? In the early 1900s, what happened? World War I, World War II, and every war since. Where just like millions of people have been slaughtered. What, what am I trying to get at? Why, why did I go off on that tangent? Because the days are evil. Why do we got to live our lives carefully? Why can't we just go with the flow? Why can't we just, you know, hey, just let me just chill. Let me just live my life and chill. Now, why do we have to be very precise? Why do we have to understand the will of the Lord and do it and follow it? Why? Because the days are evil. Until Jesus returns. You see, when Jesus returns, do you know what the Bible says will happen when Jesus returns? Oh yeah, there will be a party for the people of God. There will be a great party. But there's also judgment. And not many churches and ministries are going to preach this, but that's what the Bible says. You've got to deal with it. Is it just completely a metaphor? Or is God speaking of times to come? When Jesus, right before he returns, there's going to be judgment that's poured out on the earth. And don't think God hasn't done it. He's done it with the flood. He's done it with the ten plagues in Egypt. He's done it on Sodom and Gomorrah. God has judged even his own people, the Jews. For their idolatry and disobedience and their breaking of covenant. Don't think that what he did to the Jews, he won't do for people in the church just because they're culturally Christian. Don't get me wrong. I, I believe once saved, you're always saved. I'm a Calvinist. But there are a lot of people under deception that they are one of God's children. When really the fruit of their lives shows that they're not. And because of the church structures and cultures that exist, a lot of people are being fooled into thinking they're living the Christian life. When they're not. But all those things in the dark is going to be exposed when Jesus returns. And there's going to be judgment on the earth. And because the days are evil, the Apostle Paul says, we got to live in wisdom, not foolishness. We got to live carefully, not carelessly. And we got to make the most of every Kairos moment. And if you want to see what that looks like, you just look at the previous verses in Ephesians chapter 5. It says from verse 3 
through 14. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Because at one time you were in the darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of life. What is, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? This is what you once were. But don't behave like this anymore. Because this is not what you believe. Walk as children of light. Do not associate with people, especially people who claim to be Christians, but are living duplicit, wicked, sexually immoral lives. Apostle Paul's warning. Those people may not even be Christian. Those people who continue in those things, when confronted, do not repent. When pastors take advantage of their positions of authority and sexually abuse young adults, youth that are part of their ministry, and then lie about it, make up twisted lies and say, oh, this is not lust, this is a fatherly love. I just did this. I molested you because of fatherly love. You can be sure that such people who continue in these ways and do not repent, they will have no part in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And the only reason they have not repented is because God's judgment, they are being made ripe for God's judgment. And this is the part of Christianity a lot of preachers don't want to preach. But that's why you have to have a strong theology. If you want to holistically embrace the plans of God for when Christ returns, you got to deal with this election issue. Or your heart and your mindset will not be ready to embrace that all that Christ will do in these end times. Christianity is not all hunky-dory. Jesus loves everybody. Will you pray this prayer and get saved? No, Christianity is about bringing everything into the light at the appointed Kairos time. There is also a Kairos time where Jesus will judge the world in righteousness. Not according to whether you believe in the concept of God and we're just trying to reach for him in some uh, ambiguous way. That postmodern approach, there are good things about postmodernism, by the way. But that postmodern approach to our spirituality where they believe that God is in the center and all the religions of the world are like uh, spokes on a bike wheel. And all of the spokes, they're all pointing to the same God. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you see here? Everyone, everyone's a child of God. All, we're all God's children. That's not in the Bible. And that was never on the lips of Jesus. Well, we can perhaps achieve that if we work really, really hard at evangelism. No, it's not about working really, really hard. It's about doing the will of the Father. And let me mark my words. In certain nations, there's going to be great harvest. And in certain nations, 
there's going to be just a trickle of harvest. But you can't go into just any nation and just say, God, make, bring a great harvest in this nation just because you will it. If God has revealed that, then you can believe it and keep praying into it. And if he confirms that, be steadfast in believing it. That's what we're doing for North Korea, aren't we? North Korea, godless nation, one of the, the godless nations that still exists on the earth. One of the most wicked. But God has revealed to our congregation that he's going to bring forth a peaceful reunification. People involved in politics, they're like, oh man, you know, well, good luck, hoping on that. But you know, our hope is not based on political information. It's not based on uh, North Korean Central News Agency. <laughs> I mean, that news agency, all they know how to do is spew out lies. They never tell the truth. They tell their own people, this is a utopia. North Korea is a utopia. And there were a few select people that actually believed that. Do you know that? There are a couple of South Koreans that actually believed that. And they moved to North Korea. There was a, there was a, there was a news report uh, two weeks ago about a South Korean guy. He actually believed that. And uh, a few decades ago, he actually went to North Korea and said, Look, I believe all the reports. I, I want to enter this utopia. And then they just struck him down, beat him up, and made him, made him work as whatever, like a peasant. I don't know what, what he did, but it wasn't good. And he was a bitter guy, and he tried to escape ever since he, he entered in. Everything that that news agency says is a lie. But what we believe about what God has been saying for Korea, we believe to be truth. And even though in the natural we don't see all that much evidence that is happening, we're believing what God has revealed. Because this is what God does. It's not just wishful thinking. We're, we are responding to what God has revealed. So coming back to my message, why should we live carefully? Why should we live in wisdom? Why should we make the most of every opportunity? Why? Because the days are evil. We got to be purposeful about everything we do. And it closes with verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, I'm going to close with verse 17. I know that's not the entire context. But for this theme, I'm going to close it right there. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, the fool does not understand the will of the Lord. He doesn't even seek it out. Or if he does, he doesn't follow it. Or if he follows it, he is not careful, diligent, and precise about how he follows it and how he lives. That's the fool. So the apostle says, don't be a fool. Don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, not seeking the will of the Lord is foolish. But seeking and knowing the will of the Lord and not doing it is even more foolish. You know, there are some of you in here. You know what God has revealed for your life. You know what God has revealed for your life. You sought his face and he revealed to it. He revealed, he, man, my, my words, the devil is a liar. He revealed, he revealed to you. His will, his plans, his purposes. And he said, I want you to be a doctor. I want you to go to international law. I want you to be a full-time minister. 
But Lord, I want to be a musician. What did your pastor tell you? My pastor told me that I'm not very good on the keyboard. (laughs) Did he tell you that after he told you to practice or before? After. Did you practice? Yes. Be a doctor. (laughs) Like, if God has consistently revealed to you what the will of the Lord is and you're still not following it or you're following it, but you're doing it in a half-hearted way, that's even more foolish than the fool who doesn't even seek it out. To whom much is given, much is required. So the word of God says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The Greek verb for understand here, suniemi, can also mean to comprehend, to put together, or to be wise. So the Apostle Paul is making a contrast again. He says, don't be a fool, but be wise about what the will of the Lord is. So once again, he's pointing toward wisdom. Actually, there is a translation of the Bible called the NET. And it translates it like this. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. Be mindful of what pleases him. Be alert to his plans for your life. Understand that God shall bring to pass every true prophetic word that came from the Spirit of God. Be wise and understand the will, what the will of the Lord is. So I'm going to just read this verse again. Verse 15 through 17. Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the use of the time, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Sydney Church Plant Team, you know that when you go down to Australia, The Australian government itself is telling you, your time is limited. Don't we know that, Mi-kyung? Sister Mi-kyung knows. She went, she lived in Australia. And after the first year, she had to work in a farm in order to extend her visa. Because the Australian government says, you have limited time in our country. But she went, and she tried her best to finish the farm work, and her visa got extended. And that's what some of our church plant team members are actually planning to do. They're going to pick apples and berries to the glory of God. But look, check this out. You're not going down on your own time. You're going down on borrowed time. You got to be a good steward of the limited time you're going to have in that beautiful country. And the way that you lead and the way that you serve and the way that you make the most of every Kairos moment that God gives you will determine, not completely determine, but will help to and contribute toward how the church plant is going to grow, how they're going to reach the people, how it's going to be shaped. All the single men in the house. Make the most of every opportunity. 
while you are a bachelor. Because your days are limited. What I'm trying to say, step up, hurry up and get married. Some of you, you're overdue, you're late. You need to just step up and get married already. Get married, go find somebody, just get married. Stop shaking your head, Brady. Just receive what the Holy Spirit is highlighting right now. Look, look, check this out. Check this out. Look, let me tell you a true story, right? I thought my ministry and my ministry calling had to do with me. And that my marriage was, you know, just, you know, my wife will be a support for me, a helpmate, a samonim that's going to help cut up apples when I invite people over for... <laughs> For afternoon, you know, services at home or whatever. Little did I know that I actually, once I got married, God said, it's go time on my ministry. And for some of you men in here, you're living life on hold because you keep putting off this calling for marriage. It is a calling. It is a appointed thing. Some of you missed your appointments over and over and over again. <laughs> now, I, I, now, now, to be fair, I know some of y'all, you've been stepping out, you've been asking the girls, and some of them said no. Well, get over it. Deal with the heartbreak, and then move on to the next person you're interested in. <laughs> you, the heart is resilient above all things. It's, it's, it's very resilient. You know, I went through several heartbreaks before I fell in love with Aaron. It's some of the melancholies in the room. You think that the ideal way to get married is to fall in love once and then to get married. Baloney! <laughs> Stop thinking in, in that way. So, so in 2014, it's the year of wisdom. But I want to see some marriages in the year of wisdom. I know it doesn't make sense, but it, it does make sense. <laughs> but look, check this out. When I got married, I became a little wiser. No, honestly. Honestly. Because all my life, when my roommates try to speak wisdom into my life, don't look over there, ain't nothing going on over there, look up here. All my life, when my roommates try to speak wisdom into my life, I just got a new roommate. I had no obligation to stay with him. Right? The longest roommate that I had was James Lee, my practice bride. <laughs> my brother James here, one of our small group leaders. But when I got married and my roommate tried to speak wisdom into me, I couldn't get a new roommate. <laughs> so what happened? She kept speaking into me the same things that I heard my mama saying when I was growing up. Be more gentle. Be more sensitive. Don't be so rough. <laughs> You know, don't be so, you know, rough. I don't know. My mom always says the very same things over and over and over again. And then, you know, my wife. I realized that through my wife that there's a lot of wisdom that I can't run away from anymore. And what's my message? I'm telling you, for some of the men, single men in the house, your opportune, your appointed time is this year, or it's already overdue. Hurry up and go get married. For all the women... Single women in the house. They who wait on the Lord will 
renew their strength. <laughs> hey, but don't worry. Look, I have been praying about since since I postponed our sabbatical. I have prayed about doing a Naomi Initiative number two. Okay, for those who know what that is. All right, check this out. Yeah, it's going to be some momentum this year. Yeah. But if you guys know um, Isaac and Tina's testimony, they're madly in love right now. You guys know that their first romantic setting was a Naomi Initiative date. Naomi Initiative is uh, this thing that we did just among our leadership. It wasn't for the whole church. It was just among the leaders. And we had, you know, over almost 200 leaders at that time. We did it two years ago. And it's this thing where uh, the women ask the men out on one date. It isn't to start a relationship or anything like that. It was just to, to uh, go out on a date. And the men were obligated to say yes up to three women. After that, they can say yes to only the ones that they're they are open to. But the first three, they had to say yes. So the women of God in the house, they took advantage. And they went out. And, and there were a total of like, how many dates were there, honey, in the whole month? There were like 600 dates or something like that. And they all sent the report. And we, we tried to read through about 100 and then we gave up. <laughs> you read every single one. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, they all sound the same after a while, you know. <laughs> Especially uh, Eugene. Eugene went on like 10 dates and they all sounded the same. I, oh, sorry. Oh, snap. I shouldn't reveal that. Uh, he went on some dates. Sorry. His reports sounded the same to me after a while, so I just stopped reading them. Yeah, what's the point? I'm going to wrap up. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, Yeah, for the single women, if we do a dual Naomi initiative, make the most of it. Don't get all caught up in pride and, oh, I don't want to do that. That's humiliating. Oh, you know, I I don't want to reveal to this guy. I don't want to imply to this guy that I'm interested. You know, don't worry. If the guy has already nine dates, he's he's probably not thinking that you're interested. He's just, it's something else to check off as this, right? But uh, make the most of every opportunity. Because you never know. You guys might fall in love. And after the Naomi initiative, the guy may initiate an actual romantic relationship with you. And you may end up falling madly in love and moving toward greater things. Let us pray. <laughs> you know, sometimes I just, I just like to have fun and, uh, you know, I just hope you didn't mind at the end. Father, I just pray that in this room, if we add all up out of all the hours that this congregation that meets in four different campuses and with different people who are sons from afar, when we add up all the hours that they have in a given week, that's a lot of time. And we believe that we're not supposed to numb ourselves to this huge amount of time that we're given on this earth. But you want us to be purposeful. 
You want us to be intentional. You want us to make the most of every opportunity to redeem, to rescue from loss. Those appointed times that you give us. And so, Father, I pray for every congregation member. That you will fill them with your spirit. They may understand the times and seasons in which they live. They will understand the greater broad context of what you're doing on the earth. And they will also be aware and alert to what you're doing in their personal lives. So that they can make the most of every opportunity. That they may be wise stewards of the time that you've given them. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And we all rise to our feet. We'll close with this song.